You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Olivia Soha. Olivia is an Australia-based Carolyn Coston Institute certified eating disorder recovery coach and the founder and director of Uncovery, which is her own eating disorder recovery coaching practice. Olivia has lived experience with an eating disorder and has since been dedicated to transforming her previous pain into purpose through her work. In this episode, Olivia shares her recovery story, which includes a spiritual awakening that changed her life. If you're wondering about the connection between spirituality and recovery, this episode is definitely worth listening to. I know that you are going to absolutely love this episode of the show. Hey, Olivia, how are you today? Hey, Meg, I'm great. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. It's lovely to see you again. I know we connected a few months ago and It was nice to meet another CCI coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few of us now dotted around the world, so it's really lovely to connect with others doing the same work and, yeah, making a difference for sure. Yeah, I love it. I feel like the CCI group of coaches were like all on the same team and we support each other and we trust each other's work because of the amazing training we all had. So I love that we're all located all over the world as well. I feel like a global woman. I don't know if you yes. ever feel that way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, it's so important to have that community, I think, and to always have those people to come back to, to bounce off ideas. And yeah, it's really special work that we do and really unique. And yeah, it's important to have others to, to connect with on that for sure. Mm, Yeah. So, so important and helpful. It's been amazing having all of you kind of be on my team during this whole time. So lucky to have you on the show and I'm excited to talk to you today. And I know that the listeners are too. So I know everyone just heard the intro, but I was wondering if you could tell me about your own background and your eating disorder story, because I know you are recovered yourself and I think it's important to bring that into full picture. Absolutely. Well, I just have to say, I've just seen this little owl sitting on your shoulder behind the camera there. And I know today we're talking about my story and a little bit more, a little bit more authentically than I perhaps shared before. Not because I don't want to, but I think, you know, as we go through our healing journey and recovery, and that can be, you know, getting to a place of being recovered, but then also by way of being human, there's so many more evolutions. And I guess a part of my human journey, something I discovered along the way was that I had a spirit animal and that's an owl. And you've got a little owl behind you. So this is my little guide today. (laughs) 
I love that. When you see an owl, does that mean anything? Yeah. Like, does it mean you're on the right path or anything like that? You got it. Yeah, you got it. That's when I say, like, I might be going through something or trying to make a decision. And then I'll see a little owl somewhere. I'll see it in a window or on a sign. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm on the right path. Everything's okay. It sounds a little woo-woo, but I don't know. I'm, I'm all for woo-woo these days. I don't know about you, but. <laughs> oh, me too. I am all about the woo. And I think it's really cool that you pointed out because the reason why I have the owl sitting behind me, no one can see this, but I have a little owl in my office is because the owl is my little spirit guide, spirit animal as well. And it always means for me that I'm on the right path and it's just that comfort. So when I see an owl out and about in the world and they're actually everywhere, once you notice something is important to you, you kind of see it more out in the world. It always gives me a little bit of peace knowing, okay, I'm on the right path in my journey. I'm being guided. It's nice. It gives me peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. So similar to me. (laughs) So did the owl emerge during your recovery? Like, was that when the owl like revealed itself to you as a guide? You know what? I don't remember when it started. I feel like it was perhaps at the tail end of my recovery when I started to get, I don't know, find a little bit more meaning and purpose in my life and started to become a little bit more interested in spirituality and, you know, these other parts of my life that I hadn't really discovered or delved into before. But I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. So I will wind it back and, you know, answer the question from before. But I guess sharing a little bit about my eating disorder journey. So I'll talk to when it started. And, you know, these days when I tell my story, it changes all the time because of the discoveries I have along the way. And in recent years, the more I've been doing this work as a recovery coach, I've I've learned that my eating disorder actually started at a much younger age than I used to talk about. And I think I was about 10 or 11 years old when I first started having difficulties with food. And it originally started when my brother had choked on meat. And so for me, being such a sensitive child, he was also anaphylactic to nuts. I became so hyper aware of food and it possibly being dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, food being powerful rather than something that was nourishing. And so over the years, I started exhibiting more more so acid traits, which back then, 20 years ago, wasn't really spoken about, wasn't, you know, known about. So it was just, oh, this child has anxiety and, okay, she's not eating at the moment. That's unusual. So now when I tell my story, I can see that actually started much younger, which actually helped in my recovery journey to have more empathy towards myself, that this wasn't just an isolated experience or it wasn't just about being superficial, which is what I thought it was just about my body and my looks, but it was actually more so about some experiences that I had growing up. And I've definitely learned throughout my journey that there's a much bigger picture. And often we don't see that about our recovery until we join the dots backwards. So in terms of where it originated from, it was, yeah, it was around that time. But I guess the peak of my eating disorder was when I was 19, 20, 21, when I was finishing school and 
you know, I really lacked self-confidence. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what value I had to offer the world. And I, you know, I finished school. I was going to, I was planning to study psychology, but I just didn't feel like I knew what it was about psychology that I was interested in. And I felt like, I don't know, like I like helping people, but there's something missing to me. And so going traveling was really great. And then spending some time afterwards, just working. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to see how I go working, getting out into the workforce and yeah, see if that meaning comes, like that reason why. I definitely got that in that part of my journey as I was trying to find myself. That was when that part of my eating disorder that was more restrictive and more so about trying to be healthy and, you know, being the best at exercise and, you know, putting all my energy into that, thinking it was a good thing that actually took me into, you know, a really dark place. And so that's kind of how it evolved over the years, but that's, you know, at the point in time when I, I did kind of plunge into a, into a pretty dark place. Mm, Fascinating. So in that moment, were you aware that you had an eating disorder at this time or were you kind of going through the motions, not thinking you had an issue? Totally going through the motions. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm totally on top of the world. Like I'm taking care of myself. I'm eating well. I'm exercising. I've got a job. But during that time, I was starting to become more socially isolated. And because at that time, I'd also moved from living closer to my friends and my boyfriend at the time to then moving about an hour away with my mom, I didn't really have that mirror of my friends and my relationships. It was all just about me being focused on myself. And Again, there was no meaning. There was no, like I had a job, but it was no, it was nothing I really loved. And so all the energy just kept going further and further into, I've got to be better at eating. I've got to be better at exercising. And I was, yeah, I was trying to get better and better at that. And I was totally blinded to the fact that, you know, I was plummeting. And, you know, it wasn't until my mum, you know, really had a let's call it an intervention with me and I recite this moment to my clients actually and I call it the hairdryer moment it sounds kind of crazy but we had this moment where you know I've been out in the morning you know I came back maybe 6 30 7 o'clock and she was in her bedroom she was drying her hair and she turned around and she looked at me and she said where have you been and I just kind of like shrugged it off and I don't know, <laughs> you know, trying to skirt around where I actually had been because there was a pop that that knew. And she threw her hair dryer to the ground, like really hard. And my mom was a very sweet woman and she does not do that. So in my mind, I was like, wow, okay. And that there's something going on here. And she said, you need to get help. Like, this is not normal. It's not normal what you're doing. So I don't feel like I ever chose to get help. It was like, all right, now let's put things in motion. What do we need to do? Dietitian, psychologist, you know, putting the team together. So there was no choice for me in that. It was, we need to fix what's going on right now. Wow. Okay. So it all kind of 
became revealed to you suddenly that this was a problem because your mom had the hairdryer moment, which I love that you named it that. So how did you feel in that moment when she's telling you you have a problem? Did she use the words eating disorder? Could she identify it for you? Like, where was your head at with that? I don't think she really knew at that point, and neither did I, but we knew something. Well, she knew something was wrong. And I was, I think, still pretty oblivious to the fact that this was harmful because I didn't feel like I was having any physical symptoms that were an issue. I thought, oh, well, I'm just healthy or I'm just, you know, fit. And so that I think that's where, you know, a lot of people and probably a lot of your listeners can find themselves stuck sometimes because that can be a place where, you know, a society that might be normalised, you know, mm-hmm. be, be a place where you're really focused on exercise and health. And so for me, because I had someone in my life that was able to say, no, this is not okay, you know, we did start getting help at that point, but... I still couldn't see it. And so, and I remember when I started seeing a dietitian and started seeing a psychologist who was specialized, I was like, I don't want to do what you're telling me. I don't eat that food. That's not good for me. I, you know, thinking I was in know it all and thinking I was smarter than my dietitian. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, I have. We've had a lot of mixed feelings about dietitians in the past before I was recovered. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Okay. So did you have kind of that moral uh, identity (laughs) related to your eating disorder as well? Like this eating disorder makes, or my relationship with food makes me better than other people, makes me smarter, makes me, I don't know, healthier. I think so. And I think now, as I said before, joining the dots backwards, I was trying to draw some sort of a meaning, some sort of a connection, some sort of identity from being controlled with my eating, eating healthy, exercising, having discipline, because I didn't know who I was in the world. And I didn't feel like I had anything else to talk about. I never had that thing, right? And so I almost felt like when I had to face this treatment that I had something that they were trying to take away from me that I'd worked so hard for. And I, I was worried about, well, what's my identity then? If you're trying to take away my identity, well, I'm going to be nothing again. So tell me I'm wrong. So yeah, of course, when I met the dietitian and the psychologist, I was super resistant to anything they were trying to explained to me about food or about the food pyramid and I was like I remember she showed me on the walls like here is what you should be eating and what it should look like it's like nah (laughs) 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 oh my gosh honestly that's really connective I think and relatable because it sounds like you really did turn towards exercise and diet or was it just dieting it was both right Both to create that identity for you so it must have felt a little threatening to like tell you it's wrong and that it needs to go away and it you need to stop so I'm sure it must have brought up a lot of emotions for you and fears about okay what's going to happen if I actually do get rid of this thing 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was super scary. And yeah, I think in hindsight, I can see it all now, but it's so hard when you're in it. You know, it's really hard when you're in an experience to actually step back and see what's really going on. And I think that's something really cool that we can do as recovery coaches is we can help people to step back and see an experience, maybe through, you know, our own stories as well, but also helping them to step back and be the observant witness of their own story and to see what's happening. I wish I had a recovery coach or someone then I could say, hey, like, I know what you're experiencing and this is what I experienced, but I'd never met anyone at that time. So, yeah, I think that's why I do this. Yeah, it's so cool. I had nobody either in my life who I knew had gone through an eating disorder. I had only seen videos in health class and thought everyone they portrayed in the videos were totally nuts. And then suddenly I found myself in that position and I was like, I'm that girl. What? And I was very, I was judgmental of myself, but yeah, it's really lonely when you don't know anyone else in that place. Mm -hmm. I had a similar experience. I remember, you know, watching daytime TV, watching Dr. Phil when I was 16 and sitting there with my bowl of pasta and they interviewing a girl and my mom and she has an eating disorder and I'm thinking I'd never get an eating disorder. I love food too much. It just goes to show like it's not a choice. You know, it is totally not a choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's jarring to think back because I have exact similar moments where I was like, wow, these women with eating disorders what's going on with them? And then like a few years later, you're in their shoes living that life and it's not something you chose. So, but I am really curious to continue with this story because as of right now, from a listener's standpoint, you're in treatment, you're resistant to it. I'm really curious, when did you let go and kind of surrender to the process? Like this is legitimate. I actually have an eating disorder. I need to get better. Yeah, yeah. So really good question. And, you know, reflecting on that part of my journey, uh, things didn't get better from that point. I felt like I started to hold on more tightly. You know, I started to grip more tightly onto the eating disorder because I felt like it was being created as this bad thing and I needed to protect it. Now, at this point, I didn't call it an eating disorder, right? Like it was me. Yeah. And again, a lot of our your listeners will experience that same thing, but it's just me and I'm just doing this stuff, right? So it was at that point when things started to get worse and I I was living with my mom at the time and I had to move from living with my mom to living with my dad because she just, she couldn't manage it all on her own. Now I was an adult at this time, so I think it's really important to say that. I really needed help and I really felt at that point in time quite infanticized. Like I felt like a a child that needed to be taken care of as much as I didn't want to. So I remember I was diagnosed probably with the eating disorder on Christmas Eve of 2014. And it was from that point onwards that I felt like I need to live. Now I need to live this identity of an eating disorder. And it started to get stronger and stronger and Really, I had to leave my job at the time because I couldn't really keep it up. And I moved in with my dad. And because I didn't have anything that I was focusing on in terms of work, which I think was maintaining some sort of normality in my life, 
I went straight into that eating disorder, you know, head on. And because I was through by myself, you know, for three months, you know, my dad was at work, he was taking care of me, but all that's what I could think about, all that was important on a day-to-day basis was my food, my exercise. That was about it. So I wasn't in recovery. I wasn't focusing on recovery. I was getting worse at that point. So that was December to February, March. My grandfather was really sick at the same time. And he he passed away, I think it was maybe late Feb, early March. And I remember going to see him at the nursing home and he'd just been, you know, in an extremely painful state and, you know, crying and all of that. And I couldn't feel it. I sat there, I held his hand whilst he was screaming and moaning and I couldn't feel him. I was not sad. And it struck me in that moment that, why don't I care? Like I totally cared, like I was heartbroken, but there's such a disconnect in emotion there, right? So, you know, that next week is kind of a blur for me. So he passed away and a few days later. His funeral was a week later. I remember being at his funeral again and just feeling like I was there, but I wasn't there. You know, just this ghost myself walking around. And, you know, very quickly after that, I, you know, I landed myself in treatment. And if you ask about that moment that I let go, it was the night before I went into treatment. I didn't know it was coming the following day, but I had this thought come to my mind about it and what it was, but I had this, maybe let's come on a voice, a message, you need to go into treatment and you need to tell your parents that, like I was worried. I'm scared at that point. I'm really, really scared. And something shifted in me that was like, okay, you've just got to do it. So I said to my dad, please help me. I need help. And yeah, and he did. And again, another blur of the next 10 days. But yeah, you ask the question, when did you let go? I think around that point, but there's many letting go points along the way, but that was one significant one day. What a touching story, especially since it's almost like your grandfather's death aided in that realization that you needed to get help, right? And it's heartbreaking to know that you didn't, maybe you felt you were sad that he died, but you didn't feel into it or really feel that. And that was the moment where things started to shift. It does speak a lot to at least my spirituality stories like that, like just recognizing that there are some moments that change everything. And also those moments where your inner voice is so loud that you can't help but honor it and listen to it. My story reflects a very similar thing. I heard a my healthy self. I call it my healthy self, just like screaming at me. And I think I share this on my podcast, like sprinkled that throughout, but I was living in a modeling apartment in New York and using behaviors all the time and torturing myself, essentially trying to get this thin ideal in the 2000s. So it's like very horrible time to be a runway model. And essentially my healthy self said this, I had a 
strong message voice. I've called it God. I've called it my healthy voice. It's just some aha moment where that voice said, you need to leave now. And I packed up my bags the next day and I moved home to start recovery. And so you and I have very similar stories where that message was so clear. Pretty Pretty amazing. So on that note related to spirituality and recovery, because we're kind of at both parts of that in your journey, what was your recovery like for you? And how did spirituality come into play? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a household that, you know, with my mom in particular, she was quite spiritual and she was always, you know, searching for meaning and, you know, doing a lot of reading. And I was quite resistant to it as a child. I didn't have a religious household, but, you know, there were lots of different concepts that were in my life, but I I didn't really want to know about it when I was younger. So I had a bit of a wall up to anything that was spiritual. And I, you know, reflecting now, I wanted to find my pathway there. And I wanted to find what that looked like for me, separate to what my mum wanted, you know, what she was doing in her life. But I guess, you know, just continuing on from where that story got super spiritual, I actually, over the next, well, the following 10 days, actually, I... I had some really interesting experiences that, again, this is the first time I've talked about this in a public place. And so this is a really, really important part of my journey. And I think it's really important that I share it. I don't know who this is going to touch or who it's going to meet, but over the next 10 days whilst in treatment, because my body had gone through such a shock, I started to lose touch with reality. So a part of that experience was that I started to receive, you know, some messages and I was seeing things and hearing things that weren't a part of our physical plane. Mm-hmm. And so that for me was so scary. And I, I felt in a way that I was almost scared into recovery. But at that same time, those messages that I received were really, really powerful. And, you know, I had this experience of, I thought I was dying. You know, I thought I was going to die. And I had this experience of a light come towards me and it was a really bright light. And I had this feeling of acceptance. Like I'd accepted, okay, I'm going to die. That's it. I smelt like roses and I'd never heard of anything like this before. So I didn't create this. And I, I had this like feeling of peace come over me and acceptance. And I called my mom. I literally called my mom scared the absolute crap out of her but something happened in that moment where I felt like I was shocked back into reality and so I kept kind of going to this place where I felt like okay I'm at this point where I can choose am I going to go or am I going to stay whether this is true or not I don't know I don't know to this point you know that in my life now what that really was but I know it was really a really important message And so over the next 10 days, I had a few different messages like this or, you know, visions, whatever you want to call it, that really scared me, but also reflecting on it, I can see that was my choice point, right? Like we talk about choice points in recovery, but on a spiritual level, I felt like I chose to stay. And one of the other experiences that I had as a part of that was I received this message And this is a really interesting one, but 
I, I wasn't talking for a while, you know, in that place, I was so consumed in my mind, no one could really get through to me. But when I started talking again, it was like I had this revelation and I was so excited. I had to share it with everybody. And the message was everything equals love. And I was like, my God, you've got to, you've got to hear this. Everything equals, equals love. And, and everyone I told, like my family, they were like, okay, yep. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it was such a, you know, an important thing. And I know people who, other people now have spiritual experiences. That's often a message that they can receive too. And so for me, that's really special. And, you know, the other message that I received at that time was that if I choose to stay on this planet that I need to help people, that I'm going to somehow do something with my experience that is going to help people. And, you know, this is eight years ago, me not even knowing what was going on, not even seeing or understanding how am I ever going to get out of this place? Like this is rock bottom. So I didn't know what that was, but I had that message. You're going to stay, you're going to choose it and you're going to help people. And you know, this is what I do now, but that was the choice point, the letting go, the turning point that not that the rest of the journey was easy, but it informs everything that I'm doing now. And yeah, I don't really share that because it's kind of hard to share, mm-hmm. you know, for those kinds of experiences that can be really vulnerable and really hard to put into words. Yeah. I often shy away from it, but I'm so grateful that you have decided to share this part of your journey to the listeners of this show for the first time. Thank you. I know it's really vulnerable to talk about things that you've never opened up about before in a public way. So thank you for that. What a beautiful experience to have those life-changing messages come through to you and to have that choice point and know in your heart that you made that decision on a spiritual level. It's just gorgeous and hopefully motivating to others. Sometimes doing something scary can result in beautiful transformation and growth, which is what's reflected in your story. So while you were in treatment, First of all, I am so curious about these other visions you had. Did you have any others you wanted to share? Well, you know what? There was a few along the way, but for me, it lasted a while. Like I kind of stayed in this state for about a, a month. And I felt at that point like I was really, yeah, spiritually connected, which was scary too, because I was experiencing different things that other people were telling me were happening actually around me but yeah there was definitely things that I experienced and messages that I received that are quite interesting and I'm so curious about them now and even I'm so far away from that I feel like now I'm going through this new discovery phase of my story and understanding like wow that is so cool that I experienced that what happened like what was that? <laughs> so much <laughs> that but yeah you know some of the experiences also had some religious background. And I'm, yes, I was baptized Catholic. It was a child. I went to a Catholic primary school until grade two. But 
nothing else really in my life was religious. And some of the messages did have, you know, messages of that were around like God and Jesus and things like that, that, you know, in my conscious mind and my learning and my understanding, I don't really have a lot of education around. So again, I have this curiosity and thirst now to understand what was this experience that I went through and why I did it have also this religious messaging around it. Mm. So yeah, this is still a discovery process right now. Yeah, that's so fascinating. It's almost making me speechless because I can't answer that question for you either. Although I wish I could, you know, it's part of your path. And I think it's, it's just, again, a really beautiful piece of your journey. We're happy to hear and thankful to hear. So when you emerge out of recovery, you've had these really touching moments that connect you with your spirituality. You leave recovery, at least treatment, (laughs) you leave treatment. And then what's life like? What was that like for you? Yeah. You know, when I left treatment, it was, I want to say, you know, it was all sunshine and roses and daisies, but I, I feel like it was even harder than it was before because as I mentioned earlier, this was something that gave me an identity, right? Like my way of living, although I had these spiritual experiences, they hadn't fully integrated. And I felt like I was left with someone who was in a different body that I had known before, that I created value around, that I had an identity around, that I couldn't recognize. And so because I also didn't have anyone I could really speak to who could say, yes, okay, this is normal. You're going to now go through a process where you're learning to accept your body and learning to, I guess, take care of yourself in a respectful way and in a way that's going to be life-giving, not life-depleting. I plunged into a pretty dark place again. So again, it was another three months living with my dad where I was just so depressed and so upset all the time and just desperate for some sort of way out. And, you know, my spiritual experience was still with me and I knew it was there in the background. It wasn't like it was providing much relief at that point in time. And, you know, for me, really at that point in my journey, I I reached a new rock bottom. Like that was rock, rock, rocky bottom there. And I also remember I was having a moment with myself going, okay, well, you can't get any worse. Like you've done everything now. The only way is up. So just give it a go, but just do something. Because I was not working. I was not studying. I was not connecting with my friends. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't have any clothes that fit me. I just felt like this shell of myself. And then had also gone through this change in hospital and then in my treatment that I didn't recognize, right? So it was actually from that moment that when I put effort out and I really took a plunge, things started to open up. Things started to happen for me. So I started applying for jobs, you know, having nothing to wear. I was like, okay, well, this is the outfit. This is the job interview outfit. They could leave it. <laughs> I started looking for places to live, to move into, you know, a shared house with other people and all things that were really, really difficult for me because I'd become so socially isolated. So I put myself out there in the world and things did start opening up at that point. I got the job. I moved into a new house. I had some awesome housemates. I lived by the beach. 
dawn started opening and I could see like, okay, there's light now. And I think what was really important there and, and also what would be really important to the listeners too is that I had to, at that point, really take responsibility for my recovery and also make the choice that this is my life and, yeah, I can go back. I know what waiting just sort of looks like. It's a living hell. But I've got an opportunity now to take what I've learned and, you know, and let's try and put together a good life for myself. I didn't know at that point what I wanted to do, but I knew I'd gone through such torment in my journey that I didn't want other people to go through that. And I wanted to be able to, you know, I'd started working. I was still, in, you know, seeing my outpatient team at that time. But I started to think about, you know, what can I do that's different? I could help people on their journey. And, you know, that's when I started researching and I found Montanita. And I saw that Montanita and Carolyn has in her philosophy some spiritual components, you know, finding meaning and purpose. And I'd always like, pictured this magical treatment facility in my mind that I then found in what Carol does and what she did. And so then all my energy, all the energy that I've been putting into my eating disorder before that just went into researching and trying to find, you know, there's got to be more to just going through, you know, a regular treatment and putting on weight or, you know, stopping behaviours. Like, it's not really about that. My eating disorder journey was about finding my purpose and my passion and what I was here to do on this planet. And I guess from that moment, being able to see that there's other facilities and other people that also agree with that really helped me. And yeah, so things just started developing from that point onwards. Wow. I love that. So you found almost validation, like spirituality is part of this process. And Carolyn's work showed you that. And that's really amazing to hear. So I know along the line, you ended up, I believe, interning at Balanced Treatment Center in New York City. And I need to bring this up because I'm a fan of Balanced Treatment Center and everything that Melanie Rogers is doing over there. So I wanted to know, how did that happen? Oh, this is such a great story as well. How much time have we got? Well, so, you know, at that point in time, I was really into it. I was like researching. I had this newfound confidence that, all right, I'm someone that's like gone through something really hard and is in recovery and edging towards what we'll call recovered. I firstly went overseas and I traveled around and I thought, okay, I'm just going to go to the US. And this is someone who had no confidence before that now I wouldn't even call my mechanic to book my car in for service because I was so nervous. So now cold calling Nita and Montanito and other treatment centers and saying, okay, I'm this young Australian girl and I want to learn about what you do. We're really missing a lot of these. We're really far behind in Australia in terms of treatment goes for eating disorders. What do you do? Can I learn from you? And Melania being the legend of an Aussie that she is, we we didn't connect until I actually got back to Australia. But we set up as soon as she heard that there's this young Australian girl that wants to learn about what we do, she was straight on a Skype call, Skype. <laughs> <laughs> 
Skype call with me because that's what we used back then. And I just told her about myself and, you know, within and what I wanted to do. And, and I remember within five minutes, like she was, she was emotional and she was like, okay, well, let's figure it out. Why don't we just come to, to come to the US and you can intern here and figure it out. And yeah. So I packed my van and literally put things in storage and moved to New York for, for six months, really not knowing. I had three weeks of accommodation that I looked out, but you know, Mel is just awesome and she's such a you know close friend of mine now. We're always, you know, talking in contact and, you know, developing projects together and working on things behind the scenes still. But she wanted to take me in under her wing and I think she saw a little bit of perhaps herself in me in being in the straight I mean, and, and wanting to be, be bold and, and brave and, and do something like she did when she moved to the US. So, yeah, she really took care of me. And, you know, I got to participate in groups there and tell my story for the first time. She would just throw me in the deep end. It was so <laughs> well, not really at the time, it was scary, but, you know, I had these opportunities to really see what she did with balance. And also, you know, part of that journey was also being able to travel around the US and, and visit different treatment centers. I sent to Melanie at one point, I really want to learn about what these other treatment centers do. And she said, okay, well, let's create a role for you. You're going to be our residential treatment liaison. And well, actually I chose the name, just you can pick your titles and, you know, and you're going to represent us. And so they'll, they'll bring you over and you talk about balance and learn about, you know, to have those relationships. That's really important in different levels of care. So, so yeah, I, I got to do that. I got, it's just like <laughs> wacky, you know, when you think about it now. Um, I love that part of your journey. And on a spiritual level, I see so much in that story as well, because it shows that first of all, you do transform in recovery. And when you do the hard things and take the risks, the world will open up to you in ways you don't even foresee. And, you know, in a mind that was once consumed by diet culture and suffering, your mind can be opened up to focusing on new projects and having new relationships and meeting people from all over the world. It's just a really beautiful component. And I do see that as a spiritual component of your journey as well. I don't know if you could see it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, we all have these opportunities in life and I felt like I knew quite clearly what my pathway was because of what I'd experienced because I had the opportunity to go, you know, into a real place of darkness at such a young age. And so I'm really grateful for that because that was very clearly presented to me that it was something that I needed to do. And I'll be honest with you, there's been times in my journey where I've really resisted that, where I've gone, this is too hard, you know, but also knowing that I've got something really important to share and that is also a product of me going through something hard and you use this word transform yeah, transform pain into purpose, you know, transform lived experience or something really hard that we go through into like what we do now, a really purposeful career. And I think that that is really exciting, you know, that we can 
also be paving the way for other people who have stories, who have experiences that they might not know how to share or want to do something with to be able to share their their story and their pain and, and transform their lived experience into something that can help others. So, you know, of course, that part of my journey, I think, was, you know, you can't plan that, you know, you can't plan that. Why would this person come onto my path and say, come move to America, we'll figure it out? Clients ask me regularly, like, oh, how can I do that? And it's, yeah. well, like, I don't know, you know, it just kind of happens. So, yeah, it's, it's a part of that, that global future. And I, I always trust that. And, you know, we're out behind you here. When I got onto this call today, you know, a little part of me was nervous about being really vulnerable. And then that's my message that it's okay. You know, this is your, a part of your pain that you're transforming into this, you know, and I'm sure meet people and touch people in some way, but yeah. I feel like with recovery as well, one thing helped me feel spiritually connected was seeing the big picture in life. Like, I feel like when you can look back at your journey, it helps to see how it all fits together. And again, you can't always plan it. You almost have to trust that you're going through this really difficult period of your life that's going to teach you so much and bring you a new life. And you just have to trust that process. And it's really scary, but worth it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, taking risks you know, putting yourself out there, trusting. Yeah, all of those things are, are really, really important. And yeah, finding some way that you can connect to meaning and spirituality that works for you because I think we're, we're so different. And sometimes when we bring up this word spirituality, people might put up a bit of a wall and go, well, I'm not spiritual. I don't believe in any of that stuff. And you know, that's really Nancy smiling then. I mean, that's an important part of my work too, to help people find what that is for them and help to kind of take that wall down a little bit and find some sort of a way to anchor or connect to meaning. And then I don't even use the word spiritual, to be honest, that often in, in these kinds of settings, but to find a sense of connection to their life force and their essence that can help them in their recovery journey and help them to move from being stuck in their eating disorder and maybe more so in their ego or their physical, you know, it's all just about the external world and the physical body to, you know, transcending to a more deeper level and, yeah, finding that meaning. Mm, so valuable and so true. And I know it's kind of interesting, this talk about spirituality, because it isn't always brought up. And I think people get afraid to talk about it because there's that reaction about maybe it's sounding very religious, but in reality, spirituality and religion, they can be connected or they can be totally separate and you can be one or the other, or you can be both. And I think that's where it becomes this like topic people aren't afraid to face head on. I don't know if you resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I always try to preach it in a way that, well, firstly, because I came from a place of being someone that didn't want to face this idea of spirituality or didn't want to hear about it. 
because it was something I couldn't see. And to be honest, I was kind of scared of it too. I was scared of the unknown. I don't want to know about things that I can't see. So I had a bit of a wall up to it. But, you know, the way the way that I try and approach it, you know, with my clients in the way that I work is to really help someone just to find what is meaningful to them. And I think we're also unique in that way and finding that meaning, what they want to be able to do in the world, they're good at. It's not just about being good at like a particular job or a sport, but, you know, what do you feel like your qualities are that people point out about you? What do people love about you? I know for me, another thing that I did in my recovery was I did a, a workshop with a psychologist that took me through understanding my core values. And so helping people to be able to look at it in that way, okay, how can we find the core values? For me, what really came out or what my core driver was, I really don't remember all of it now, but it was around helping people, right? So for me, I'm trying to help people to see, okay, what gives you meaning? What is it about helping people that makes you feel good or what makes me feel good? So we don't have to go like woo-woo unless someone wants to go woo-woo, <laughs> but finding ways that are, are really tangible that we can help people to kind of connect to that. And maybe we don't know what the bigger picture is. Maybe someone in their recovery journey doesn't know what's coming next for them. What's the, you know, what's their job and like, what are they going to do in there, you know, for their uni degree, whatever that is. But, you know, what's meaningful to me now? What wouldn't I want to lose about myself that I want to carry forward? And, and yeah, and then there's so many ways that we can help people to connect to their soul self, to connect to that deeper part of them that can really be through things that everyone knows, like being in nature, listening to music. Is it, yeah, is it dancing? Is it being your own friend? Is it being on your own? Is it doing meditation? Is it going to a concert? I don't know. Like it can be so different. So I, I feel like it's my job to help people create that picture for themselves and find a way to connect to what meaning is for them. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it is. It is really all about what is meaningful to you at this moment. And I think the other question you asked that's really interesting too is, what's the part of you you don't want to lose? What's the part of you you want to carry through life? I think that's such a beautiful question to reflect on. So everyone listening, definitely ask yourselves those two questions. And Olivia, you mentioned ways people can kind of stir up their spiritual side and get that going. I'm curious, do you have ways in your life that you kind of evoke your own spirituality or connect to your spirituality? You know what? It's really changed over the years. I think when I first started my spiritual journey in that phase of my recovery where I was taking responsibility, living on my own, I started doing things like yin yoga. And I remember at that time, I thought it was, it was the biggest waste of time. Like, what am I doing? I'm sitting here in my child's pose and nothing's happening like what for but eventually it took me four months of doing yin yoga to realize okay maybe the whole point is for me to actually be able to sit here in myself in my thoughts and be okay with that so some things like that yoga that's something to me that's carried throughout my journey that is a real anchor for me I really love 
the other thing that is a little bit more new in my spiritual journey, let's say, is I am currently at a women's circle and we're, <laughs> there's four of us and we all also have our, our own businesses. So we talk about things that are you know, going on in our life and we share about that, but we also talk about things that are, you know, deeper and have more meaning for us. And so that connection to women, connection to others that perhaps, you know, on a similar journey in some ways is, is really helpful. So community, I think something I always struggled with throughout my teen years and throughout my early adulthood was actually being able to connect to other women. I don't know really what that was about. Very self-conscious, never thought I was good enough or I didn't think any girls liked me. So for me, this has been, you know, really transformative part of my adult life and 29 now, being able to like change those narratives and find that connection with other women I think is, is so important. So, yeah, and also things like going to workshops. I mean, recently I went to Europe for nine weeks and the beginning of my journey was five-day intensive personal development workshop with an this institute called the Learning Love Institute, which is all about relationships and, yeah, relating to ourselves and others. And it was actually called Living Passion Depth. So for me, doing these workshops along the way, I'm able to, like, take points to learn about myself and beautiful setting in Siena to be able to do that. But, yeah, so some of the things I do now. Mm, so inspiring. I need to get myself in some workshops. I need to get myself in some women's circles. Where are they at? Let me go find them. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, wow. Olivia, this has been such a pleasure. I have truly enjoyed hearing so much of your story and, you know, the bonus content that's new with just the add on to your story. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us and sharing your spiritual side. Thank you for providing this platform. You know, I will say it was about six weeks ago that I put it out there to the universe, let's say, that I wanted to share my story a bit more authentically and vulnerably somehow in some way. And this idea of a podcast came to mind. And then, you know, you sent me that message and invited me to the and I thought, okay, all right, now's the time. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're so welcome. It's been an honor and I'm just grateful to have you in my circle of coaches that are globally connected. It's really nice. And again, thank you for being here and I appreciate you. Thanks so much, Bing. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) 